It's wonderful to share with you today as today we're, we're completing our sermon series for the month of October focused on the book of Genesis and how Genesis tells us about us. It tells us about history, but in telling us about history, it tells us about us, who we are, where we came from, what our purpose is. And today we look at how Genesis tells us that we are redeemed. The great New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this about Genesis. He says, Genesis is the gospel in miniature because it begins just like the gospel of John with the words in the beginning. It goes all the way back and it includes within it a terrible conflict that takes humanity from, from God and it ends with someone who's been abused offering forgiveness and restoring the family that had been torn apart. That someone is the person of Joseph, a little bit of whose story uh, from Genesis chapter 50 you just heard read for us today. And it shows us how God redeems us. And to redeem in essence means to restore something to, to its purpose. Every so often we're driving along on the road and a classic car that's all shined up will pull up beside us. And I make sure to point it out to the family and say, hey, look, look, look at that. Look at that because they don't make them like that anymore. You know, your car used to, was supposed to, you know, reflect your entire personality. And, and now your car is supposed to connect to your iPhone and, and show you camera angles that make sure you're safe. And, and that's all well and good. But we, when you, when you look at cars, they just don't have the same soul they used to have. And when I see an old one, I say, look, at, look, look. And whenever I talk like that, my kids look at me like, you're old. <laughs> you know, ble ble bless your heart. But when you see something that's been restored to what it was, to what it was meant to be. I, I knew a guy and what he liked to do was drive around and he would drive around to these places where people had old cars, you know, out in the country where, where uh, they didn't have homeowners agreements to, to worry about, where they could just put their old cars in their yard. And he would find diamonds in the rough and he would walk up to people he didn't know and say, I'll give you $1,000 if you let me haul that old rust bucket off your property. And then he'd restore it and it would be gorgeous and it would be back to the purpose for which it was ultimately made. And when you looked at it, you, you just couldn't believe that it, something that had sat out in a yard for years and years could then become back what, what it was supposed to be all along. Early on, when Europeans were coming to the uh, new world of North America, uh, they were searching throughout uh, the incredible forests and navigating the rivers, getting to know uh, the Native Americans. And there's a story about one priest who came over. And it is the first story that we have that describes someone of European descent encountering Niagara Falls. And when uh, he, he got to know a native tribe and they took him to what we call Niagara Falls. And I, I'm pretty sure I know, I know how this went. Uh, they, they sat there and they looked at him and they said, hey, let, let's scare him, right? 
and they brought him. He never heard sound like that. And so they brought him this roundabout way through the, the woods where all of a sudden it appears and there's just this crush of noise and water. And they said he fell on the ground scared to death because he'd never seen power like that before. Can you imagine seeing that? If you've been to Niagara Falls, if you've seen it on TV, only half the water that nature wants to send down Niagara Falls is sent down Niagara Falls. The other half is diverted uh, to generate electricity. So when you see those falls, you are seeing half of the original power of, of those falls. Well, if you were to have gone to those in the late 1800s, you wouldn't have seen anything. You would have seen a trickle because all of that water was being diverted to factories that had been built on the cliffs. And those factories had polluted the area and it, it was no longer beautiful. It was quite ugly. And the only thing that was really going into the river uh, was the excess and the waste from those factories. And a group of people got together and they said, this is supposed to be something different. This isn't supposed to be like this. And they began raising money and raising awareness and buying out factories. And that's why we have what we have today because it was restored. It, it had been ruined and it was restored to its purpose. And when you see something that's been restored for what it's supposed to be, it's awe-inspiring. If you go to Glacier National Park, I'm told by Pastor Brooke, who's our resident national park expert, uh, among others on, on staff, that if you go to Glacier National Park, you can go to the lodge, and the lodge looks out over one of these incredible vistas, and there's a beautiful piano there. And people are allowed to sit and play the piano, and many will sit and play hymns that just remind you of the glory of God. Well, do you know where that piano came from? Uh, that piano, uh, years ago, was in a bar. And that piano uh, has seen a lot of things. Uh, word has it that that piano was there uh, when someone shot someone else. The bullet perhaps flying across the piano. Uh, word has it uh, that women have stood and sung on that piano uh, in their birthday suits. Uh, Word has it that that piano has seen uh, many things uh, for which we humans weren't necessarily created to do. But that piano, uh, after uh, serving its tour of duty in a bar, uh, was rusting away. And a pastor found it and purchased it and restored it. And now it's this beautiful piano that gives glory to God, that's been restored to the purpose for which it was made. When we say that God redeems us, what redemption means is that you are God's restoration project. That God is at work actively restoring you to the purpose for which you were created. And we see that in the story of Joseph, and we see that in our own lives, uh, that we have this tendency, uh, we, we call it sin, but it takes us away uh, from our purpose. And then God, wherever we've gone, however far we've gone, God calls us back. 
and brings us back to that purpose for which we were created. I, I want to share with you again these words from Genesis 50, but I want to tell you a little more of the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph is an amazing character. He's someone who has incredible integ integrity at moments and incredibly poor judgment in others. He is one of the younger sons uh, of of his father Jacob, who's also known as Israel. And you may remember that as a young man, uh, Jacob uh, plays favorites and shows some favoritism towards Joseph. Now, don't judge J Jacob too harshly. His father did the same thing. We passed down these bad habits. But uh, the other brothers resent Joseph. And so at one point, Jacob sends Joseph to check on the other brothers who are out in the field tending the livestock. And he sends him with this coat of many colors, which you may remember. Well, the brothers aren't happy to see their younger brother coming because this younger brother, in his arrogance, has this habit of predicting that one day he will be more powerful than all of them and they will bow to him. Now, when you do that with brothers, uh, the typically those are fighting words. And this was no different. Uh, they, threw, they beat him up, they threw him in a pit, and they thought about killing him. Uh, but then they figured, well, uh, if, we, if we kill him, we have to do this big cover-up, and we could make more money selling him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery. He's taken down to Egypt. Uh, they decide to tell their father he's, he's been killed, and they've got, they've got their money, and they're rid of their younger brother. He goes in slavery to Egypt. There he becomes a slave in the house of Potiphar, who is a captain in the guard of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph is this wise young man. He's a young man who does his job well, who work, works hard and is a person of integrity. And so even though he's a slave, he rises to a position of prominence in a very prominent household. And he has a, a fairly good life there in that household. His only problem, and, and this is a problem that many of you have, so I know you're going to be able to relate and that your heart's just going to go out to this young man. His only real problem is he's too good looking, right? He's just too good looking. And Potiphar's wife can't keep her eyes off of him. Well, she makes a pass at him and he turns her away, says, I, I would never do that uh, to my boss. And she makes another pass at him, and he turns her away again. And this time, it angers her to the point that she falsely accuses him of assaulting her. Uh, you, you may not be super familiar with the Egyptian legal system in those days, but you can imagine it was not innocent until proven guilty when the accused party was a slave and the accuser uh, was a person of prominence. So he loses his position. You can tell how much Potiphar thought of him in that he is not killed. Potiphar grieves that he will lose this servant in his household, and Potiphar is merciful and does not kill him, but has him thrown in prison. So now he's a slave in a foreign country in prison. You would think that's three strikes and you're out. But even in prison, he continues to pray. 
and he continues to seek God. God allows him to interpret dreams, and he interprets dreams for other prisoners. And some of the prisoners come from the court of Pharaoh. Uh, they are servants within the court of Pharaoh who did something uh, that uh, made Pharaoh irritated. And, and back then, you didn't have to commit a crime for fa Pharaoh to throw you in prison. If you cooked the chicken too long and it was, t you ever had rubber chicken? You know, it, you cooked Pharaoh rubber chicken, you go to prison. Uh, you, you, you make a mistake. You, you, you might go to prison for a little while and then you might come out. Well, he encounters some gentlemen in this situation and he interprets their dreams. And he tells them, after you are released, remember me. Tell Pharaoh about me and help me be released. Well, they don't remember him, at least until Pharaoh uh, has a dream that disturbs him. And, and Pharaoh's dream uh, sounds like something uh, out of a Halloween movie. Uh, Pharaoh dreams uh, that there are seven fat, beautiful cows. And then there are seven uh, skinny, scrawny, mangy-looking cows. And the seven skinny, scrawny, mangy-looking cows come over and they eat the seven healthy cows. And this disturbs Pharaoh so much. He says, someone must interpret my dream. And he calls all the magicians of Egypt and they come and no one can interpret his dream to his satisfaction until one of his servants says, there's a young man in jail and God has given that young man the gift of interpreting dreams. Well, they go and they bring him out of jail. They bring him before Pharaoh. So now this person who was a slave in a foreign country in jail is now standing before the most powerful ruler, at least in that region of the world, perhaps in the entire world at that moment in history, asking to, be interp to interpret a dream. He interprets the dream and he says, Pharaoh, those seven fat cows, those are seven years of abundance and good harvests. And those seven skinny cows, those are seven years of famine. So uh, Pharaoh must build up storehouses, tax the people uh, on their crops, build up surpluses so that there is enough for the people of Egypt in, that, in the seven lean years of famine to come. And in fact, not only will there be enough for your people, Pharaoh, there will be enough that all the nations of the world will have to come to Egypt and buy their grain from Egypt so that Egypt will become the great superpower in, in the world. Pharaoh liked this interpretation of the dream. He liked it so much that he made Joseph second in command in the nation of Egypt. Joseph reported directly to Pharaoh, and no one could disobey an order Joseph gave other than Pharaoh. He was, in essence, vice president of Egypt. From slave, foreigner, prisoner, to vice president of Egypt. And his job uh, was uh, to make, oversee all the storehouses and all the taxes. And he did this with excellence, and he rose to pro prominence, uh, and suddenly he had everything you could want. He had prestige, uh, he had a family of his own, he had riches beyond his wildest imagining, he had purpose uh, to save the people from the famine that was to come, and then the famine came.
And when the famine came, his brothers, his father sends his brothers down to Egypt to buy grain because they are starving. And Joseph sees them. And Joseph has to decide what to do. You see, Joseph, though there's so much about him that's admirable, you can imagine he still had a little resentment. He still had a little hatred in his heart for his brothers because they sold him into slavery. Some of us still have a little hatred in our hearts for our siblings, and they never sold us into slavery. You know, uh, the, the worst thing they ever did to us was refuse to let us use their nice bedroom after they moved off to college. And we still resent it. And we're 70. But can you imagine if your siblings sold you into slavery? And he has to decide, how's he going to handle this? He knows he's, he's going to, to give them grain. He knows he's going to take care of his father. But now his brother's lives are in his hand. Now he has the power to enslave them. And I'd encourage you to go throughout. If you have not been a part of our Bible reading plan, which throughout this month we're, we're reading the entire book, uh, I encourage you, please go back and, and read these last chapters about Joseph. It, it is one of the most amazing stories in the book of Genesis. But what you need to know is that he ultimately helps his brothers, helps his father, and then his father passes away. And his brothers are convinced that now he will turn on them. That he was only being nice because of his love for his father. And this is what happens in chapter 50, beginning with verse 15. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong we did to him? So they approached Joseph saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are here as your slaves. But Joseph said, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. Joseph had to make a decision. He had to make the decision about who he was because he was hiding behind this facade of being the ruler who could enslave them. And he had to decide, am I that ruler or am I their brother? What will guide my dictates? And am I the ruler who demands justice for those who have insulted and harmed me or am I the brother? who seeks the best for my family. Now, today's one of my favorite days of the year. It's trunk or treat. And uh, you'll see me out here this afternoon with my family. We'll, we'll have a trunk. Our, some of our kids will, will be dressed up. And I just, I love seeing, some of you are so creative with, with your trunks and your costumes. And, and there, there's times every year where I have to go up to other people and say, who is that? 
because I can't tell who you are in, in your costumes. It's, it, it's amazing. And you see some costumes that are eerie and scary and some that are funny and, and that are goofy. But it reminds me that there's a difference between a costume and a uniform. I have a friend, he played athletics in college and uh, towards the end of his college athletic career, uh, he had a game. Many of his family and friends came, came to watch him. And I'm, I'm not going to say the name to, to protect the innocent, but one of his family members who uh, wasn't much into athletics, when he ran out with the team for the beginning of the game, she exclaimed, oh, doesn't he look good in his costume? a uniform it's not a costume it's a uniform and his friends who I may or may not be one of have never let him forget how cute he looks in his costume that he was so adorable and so precious in that costume he used used to wear you see there's a big difference between a costume and a uniform when you put on a uniform, you are that person. When you put on a costume, you're pretending to be that person. And Joseph, if you read the story, he'd been wearing the costume, or was it the uniform, of an angry, cold-hearted ruler in his dealings with his brothers. And internally, he had to make a decision was this a costume or was it a uniform? And to be redeemed, Joseph had to take off the costume, take off the mask he was, he was hiding behind and allow his true purpose to show through, to be their brother. As he says it, you intended this for harm, but God intended it with a purpose for good. And that's how Joseph experienced redemption. That was by deciding and discerning that the idea of vengeance, uh, the idea of his primary identity, rather than being a son of God's chosen people, being a cold and hearted, powerful ruler, which one was he going to be? And his redemption came in choosing the purpose God had given him, not the one that his ego tempted him towards. Now, for his brothers, it was different. For his brothers, they had to own up to what they'd done. Remember uh, what, what they say to him. They said, we beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong we did. They even offer to be his slaves. They had to face up to the pain they had caused. Their redemption was not going to come without their confession. It's that same way in our relationship with God. Our redemption doesn't come without us owning up to the pain we've caused and the way in which we've gone away from the plan that God has for us and the purpose that God has given us. And there's so many times in our lives, once again, our ego takes us away from there. We, we, we don't want to go down that path. We don't want to think about that. But for Joseph's brothers, they weren't going to be redeemed outside of that they couldn't be restored and it's it's that way with God 
God's much like that man who drives around looking for old cars to restore. But the, the difference is God will find you. And God will pray, pay any price for you. But God won't force you. God, God, God won't do that. And then what we find in our lives is that to be redeemed, we have to be like Joseph and like the brothers. We have to allow God to soften our heart and confront our ego. To soften our heart that says, I want to get back at them. I'm like you. I know very well what the scriptures say. I know they say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But often, I want vengeance to be mine. I know that when I, refuse, that when I refuse to forgive, what I'm doing is I'm saying, I'll show you, I'll poison me. Because that's what you do when you refuse to forgive. You say, I'll show you, I'll hurt me. But any of you think about those people that have done you wrong, done your family members wrong? If you stay up late at night thinking about them and think about what you'd say if you just had the chance, and you know you won't have the chance, and you know if you did, you wouldn't actually say it, but you just think about how good it would feel. Oh, it's just me. No, sorry, just me. Well, we have to allow God to soften our heart, and we have to allow God to confront our ego and realize that somewhere there's someone staying up at late at night and they're going, that Will Cantrell, if I got the chance, I know what I'd say to him. Boy, I'd let him have it. I'd show him what was what. Somewhere there's, there's somebody like that. There's somebody probably with, with good reason to, to, to be like that. And there are things for which we have to come forward and we have to say, God, we've, we've gone away from your purpose. We, we, we've made it about us. We've made it about getting what we could get. We've made it about us looking good, people saying good things about us. That's, that's not why we were created, is it? I saw a, a clip from CNN this week. We've all been praying for the folks in Maine uh, and the terrible mass shooting that occurred there. And they were interviewing a father. He, he lost his son. His son was working in a restaurant and when the shooter came in his son grabbed a kitchen knife and charged to try and save other lives uh, but he was shot before he could reach and disable uh, the the shooter and, and he passed away from his wounds uh, they they interviewed his father uh, his father who 25 years before had lost his daughter i believe to a car accident and now he'd he'd lost his son and they said, how do you feel? And his father said, well, I'll tell you how I don't feel. I don't feel hate. I can't, I can't hate the man who did this because no one in their right mind did this, does this because I believe in the Lord and that man was created to love and something went wrong in his life and something went wrong in his brain and I know his parents who raised him didn't raise him or ever think this is what would come of of his life so i i want and this was before uh, while the person was still on the loose 
or at least that they thought he was, was still on the loose. He said, I, I, I can't do that. You can't let that hatred in, inside your heart. He quoted the scriptures. He said, the Lord says, vengeance is mine. And we, just, we, have, to, we have to trust that, uh, but, but I, I, I won't hate. I, I won't do that. I'm very sorry. I'm sorry this happened to my family. I'm sorry this happened to others' families. I'm sorry this happened to the shooter's family. But, but, but you can't do that. You, you can't let that in, inside your heart. You just have to love the Lord and try to love other people. And, and he didn't say, it took him about three minutes to say that. He'd stop and, and he'd, he'd cry some. And the reporter didn't know what to say. And she sent it back to the anchors in Atlanta or wherever the CNN anchors are now. And they didn't know what to say. So they just sent it to commercial. Because when you see Niagara Falls, when, when you see something restored to its original purpose and its original power, when you see a life lived that's learned from God how to love when it's not easy, that's learned from God how to forgive when it's frowned upon, there's no words. Just beauty. Just witness. Just the face of God right in front of you. Friends, my prayer is that we'll live our lives in such a way that others might somehow from the way we allow God to redeem us, find the face of God right in front of them. And not that they would ever say a good word about us, but that they might step back for just a moment and consider what it is to be created by this God who loves us enough to pay any price to redeem us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you today and we recognize that we are bought at a great price when you would take out vengeance upon us for our wrongdoings you chose to inflict that vengeance upon your son that we might be restored and redeemed to the original purpose for which you have us we've gathered here today because we seek that redemption we many of us have seen you do it before and we come to say that after a week of struggle we need you to do it again so do it again lord do it again restore us to the purpose for which you created us to love one another as you've loved us and uh, allow us to live in that purpose all the days of this life and forever in the next we pray these things in the name of your son christ our savior and we all said together Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.